This episode of Mining Stock Daily is brought to you by Roskin Gold. Roskin is a West African-focused exploration company currently active with its Candioli project in West Mali. The latest updates can be found at roskin.ca. Hey everybody, welcome into Mining Stock Daily. This is your Monday market update. Uh, it's probably going to be the only episode we air today as uh, uh, it seems like uh, everybody in the U.S. is uh, watching the markets and working at their desk, whether at the office or at home, uh, while the rest of the world continues to be on their Easter holiday. Uh, so we're going to welcome in Chris Temple from National Investor and just kind of have a overall big conversation of things he's watching. Uh, Chris, uh, it's real interesting today. We continue to make all-time highs. A couple of the big boards, the S&P, for example, continues to move upward. Uh, this is coming off a good jobs report from Friday. Uh, and you would think this risk-on bullishness for the overall markets would continue uh, to maybe push gold lower, but uh, have no fear, gold continues to move higher, and even the miners seem to be outperforming the yellow metal. Uh, so, you know, given uh, the, you know the holiday and kind of going into this long weekend we had uh, as we enter the new week, what are a couple things you are watching this week, Chris? Well, the biggest thing I'm going to be watching this week, Trevor, is interest rates. Uh, are we going to see new highs still for long-term yields in the marketplace? Uh, there's a couple of data points out to be capped at week's end by last month's producer price numbers, uh, which are likely to be somewhat hot yet again. The last time that happened, of course, it caused a dollar to spike. It caused interest rates to spike further and put a little bit of a tremor through uh, risk assets. Uh, I believe we'll see a repeat of that. I'm surprised the extent to which uh, the general stock market has held up with this rise in interest rates, but it really owes to a couple of things. First of all, there's still such enormous liquidity in the markets, number one. And number two, the US uh, and to some extent China for global investors have been kind of oases when you have much of the rest of the world that is still hobbled by one thing or another, not the least of which is this global pandemic or plandemic, if you prefer. Uh, Europe is shutting down again. Canada, parts of it are even still shut down. BC just had a new imposition of a few weeks uh, of, of uh, making things tighter as far as movement and so forth. South America, much of it is still a basket case. Uh, Chile, as you and I were just talking off mic, they pretty much just shut the borders down. Brazil is bad. Ecuador, parts of it are worse. Uh, and of course, uh, who knows how long we're going to be immune from that when we have so many people from those regions being welcomed by open arms by that uh, good guy, as he said, uh, in the White House. So we'll see. But for present purposes, there's not too many choices for global investors. And the U.S. is about the best of them. Uh, do you feel like kind of the overall movement in the big big equity markets uh, today and this week are really coming off that optimism and the good data from last week and maybe the move higher in precious metals is continues to hedge that maybe uh, the more pessimistic type of trade that maybe things won't be so good? 
Uh, I'm not going to put anything in today's because I still think there are, is more likely than not to be divergent paths, Trevor, for stocks on the one hand and precious metals, especially gold, on the other. I'd still call it a coin flip. Uh, whether gold does or does not hold its recent lows around 1675 an ounce, there's a scenario where that will give way. Uh, and that is if the rise in long-term interest rates not only resumes but accelerates in the coming uh, several weeks, which I think is a pretty good bet. Uh, the stock market today, you've got to uh, take it with a grain of salt because you're in the first trading day of a new quarter and new month both which always sees net inflows into stocks. Uh, we'll see if this kind of uh, optimism and upward movement, uh, such as it is, will still be with us at week's end after we get several data points out. Because I still think, back to your original question when we started, that if you see long-term interest rates resume their uptrend, and especially if they move quickly, what we will see yet again, what we've seen a couple of times along the way recently, and that is gold under renewed pressure and the most overvalued segments of the stock market led by the NASDAQ under renewed pressure as well. That That's what I think is going to happen. Uh, I want to go back and, and open up that old question that we continue to have, it seems like week after week for the last few months, and that's the old inflation d discussion. Uh, some of the um, kind of data numbers that we've seen, uh, you know, out of Dallas, ISM numbers as well, uh, this continued narrative of supplies being of short demand and therefore of higher costs of what uh, producers were originally be able to get them for it less than a year ago. Uh, to me, that obviously screams an inflationary type of discussion. Uh, given what we've seen in the last couple of weeks and what you've read and things you were looking at, are we anywhere close to really settling this inflation debate up to new data numbers later this month? No, we're not. Uh, look, there's there's a couple of moving parts to this story, and you'll be seeing my new newsletter by midweek. And I just talk about this in the cover story and in, in the within the context of where will interest rates ultimately peak, and why will they ultimately peak? So that that's that's really the the most important question that you've got to ask yourself as an investor right now. Look, the, the Federal Reserve is making a bet, and they've been somewhat forthright about this, in that, look, we can let the inflation numbers temporarily run hot because, yes, they are indeed caused right now to some good extent by supply shortages as much as they are by demand. But the Fed is saying we don't have to react right away because it's not going to last for long. Now, the $64,000 question is, why won't it last for long? <laughs> Are they believing that the supplies will catch up and that we won't have shortages of copper and lithium and uh, maybe even down the road, even oil? Uh, or are they believing that this will peter out because they know darn good and well that we only have a temporary sugar high for economic activity more broadly anyway? And that once that sugar high is gone, we will be back to weaker demand and a subpar level of economic growth. So that's that's the bet that the Fed is making is they're going to get away for one or the other of those reasons with that narrative. Now, the question is, will the will the market sit idly by? I don't believe that it will. And I think we're already seeing some early signs that those bond market vigilantes of old 
are feeling a little bit better about life these days and that they're going to test the Fed. You know, the Fed's dot plot after their last meeting said they're not raising short-term rates for at least three years. Uh, slowly but surely, the Treasury market is calling that notion out and starting to price in uh, the first rate hike before next year mm -hmm. is over. Uh, that will probably increase and increase the pressure, therefore, on the Fed as we get more and more hot inflation numbers, which is going to be our lot in life, I think unquestionably, for at least the next few months, all else being equal. But I, I also want to say, Trevor, and we, we should go into this in a separate discussion down the road, <laughs> yeah. this whole inflation narrative that a lot of investors have, I think, is like a lot of arguments that I hear from people, whether they're saying they're predicting gold's going to go to 10,000 an ounce or whether they're predicting that the dollar is going to go into the dustbin of history or whatever, um, we're still fighting the last war. There is simply not the room as a matter of simple mathematics to have this open-ended inflationary boom across the board for commodities that's going to go on for numerous years like we've seen in times past, whether it was in the 1970s, whether it was different times we had strong economic growth globally. Uh, most recently, I think that the time that you had this rising tide lifts all boats for commodities was with China's uh, boom period from roughly 2002 to around 2007 or 8, uh, where you did have a weak dollar that supported all of this, and then that insatiable China demand pushed everything higher. It's an interesting mix right now where you indeed do have with some commodities, especially if any of this infrastructure and green energy stuff that the president just proposed really does get off the ground in a big way. Yes, you're going to have major drivers, uh, at least as far as, you know, quote, government money, which is just more debt driving this stuff, which will which will push prices for a lot of different raw materials higher. But I submit to you and to those out there who are taking uh, too simply this idea of this big new commodities boom that we're in, who in the end pays for copper going from $4.10 or whatever it is today a pound to 7 or $8 a pound? Who's going to pay for oil going back to $100 a barrel if we end up there. Who's going to pay for a lot of these raw materials when consumers, uh, many of them still live hand to mouth and only have money to spend right now because the government printed more of it. Uh, I think it's going to get hit. It's going to hit businesses hard. It's going mm -hmm. to hit profit margins hard. So there's very little room, unlike times past, when you did have this cost push inflation in the 70s and into the early 80s, you don't have that world anymore, Trevor. Mm. So, yes, I think there are places where you can you can invest based on shortages of commodities that we need that inevitably must rise. Uh, and I'll say it again, there's not a more bullish one, in my view, than uranium right now. Um, but I think people are out a little bit over their skis with some of these other areas thinking that this is something that's going to go on for years and it probably won't. And it really can't. Yeah. You know, an interesting idea along those same lines, Chris, was poised to me um, yesterday. 
I was in the car with the family and driving across state lines and listening to a podcast. And there was an idea about, I mean, regarding the inflation discussion, but really the psychology of inflation and whether inflation actually lives or doesn't live in the present moment kind of that fear of inflation the psychology of that fear of inflation leading people to make purchases buying things now because of the idea that well it'll just cost more later down the road and i think like the housing market right now is a great example exactly of that psychology but when it comes down to like the basic uh the the supplies and the commodities i mean is that fear of inflation really going could it set the tone to the legitimate called out inflation uh based on the data we get here in a couple of weeks i mean i know that's you that's maybe giving you a counter argument there uh but that psychology definitely has a place to play in this well, it does, and I'm glad that you distinguished between asset prices, where you've seen people in a full-fledged panic for a while already, whether it's to buy Bitcoin before some greater fool comes in and pays 100000 for it, whether it's real estate, whether it's a lot of different things right now. But I, I don't see this argument for you know what traditionally did drive a lot of the cost push inflation of the 70s when people decided today I'm going to buy that new washing machine because if I wait it's going to be more six months from now or I'm going to buy this or I'm going to buy that I don't see it being that broad and, and in any event and, and I've argued this incessantly this is where we all need to understand the inflation slash deflation debate is in the year 2021 anyway and it's in asset prices. You know, you've got you've got people out there still that are saying we're going to have a hyperinflation and it's going to drive gold to ten thousand dollars an ounce. Let's say, and I, I don't mean just to pick on gold. I'm very <laughs> bullish long term on gold, even if short term I'm not. Um, I don't know where these people have been. We've already had hyperinflation since the bottom of the financial crisis. The S and P five hundred was at 666 at the bottom, and we just broke 4,000. That's hyperinflation. The kind of renewed hyperinflation and derivatives that let that crazy Bill Wong with his Archegos fund uh, be the latest uh, near miss to implode the entire system, that's hyperinflation. When I saw just a few weeks ago a husband and wife realtor team down the road from me in Boca Raton, Florida, uh, interviewed, and, and and they admitted literally going door to door, knocking on one and two and three million dollar homes, saying, please consider sellings. I got people lined up at my door that'll pay you whatever you want. That's, that's people scared that they're going to miss out on higher prices to come. So that, in those areas, we already see that. Uh, but again, Aside from asset prices, which are getting more bubbly, I, I wish I had a tricked out DeLorean to go forward and see <laughs> when the music stops, but I don't, and neither do you. <laughs> but um, you know that 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 that's gonna that's gonna hit a wall one of these days, and and, and frankly, it's gonna be part of the reason why I think we don't get the broad melt up in consumer prices. We're gonna get a blip higher, no question about it. It's already started. And, and we all know that the government lies about the numbers. The BLS stands for the Bureau of Lying Statistics that gives us these numbers. So nobody needs to remind me of that. Okay, <laughs> But you know that said, 
there just is not the room in the kind of economy and world that we live in today to have this translate in, in, in even a half healthy way into more demand, which supports higher prices, leads to higher prices, which leads to more demand because people are getting higher wages. Uh, we're, we're not going to see that to any great extent. We're going to see we're going to see it in bits and pieces. And again, I think where those commodities like uranium are bullish is because there are legitimate shortages of these things that whatever happens to the broad economy, we can't do without. Uh, can we open up the uranium conversation real quick, Chris? Sure. And and we'll and then we'll just kind of wrap it up for that. But I do want to get your thoughts here because uh, it does seem like uranium is outpacing that seasonality it's always been known to have uh that continues to get a bid and uh you know people that have been following the uranium market uh you know and i've discussed uh we're not quite certain that it continued it was going to continue to have the legs that it certainly does the equities continue to do well the spot price i mean given the spot price it continues to raise a little bit incrementally every week it seems like but it's nowhere near that you know 60 dollars a pound of of uranium that it really needs to get to um, but you know, like what is the fundamentals behind this? Is there, why the more optimism and why didn't we hear president Biden mention uranium in the infrastructure bill? <laughs> why did we hear? Didn't we? Did not. Did well, we not? first of all, if you read the bill, there, there is some money in there for modular reactors and for research behind them and so forth. So it indeed, it, it, okay. it, there was indeed a presence for nuclear power in the bill. Um, so let me let me point that out quick first. Thank you. Look, there has been a disconnect for a while between the spot price of uranium, which until it perked up again uh, just the last week or two, was pretty static. It, it was almost $35 a pound. Uh, at one point, it fluttered back down in the upper 20s. Now we're around 31 bucks a pound or some such thing like that. There's, there's a couple things you got to keep in mind, though. The biggest one of which is I, I was fortunate to have a conversation with probably the smartest guy on the planet on this subject uh, a few weeks ago who used to run Cameco once upon a time. And he reminded me that even though Japan has started some of the reactors and will continue to do so, that it has not been at nearly the pace that a lot of people expected and hoped for going back a few years ago. And Japan, and this has been little discussed, has continued to be a net seller of uranium uh, you know, that they had in stock, number one, or in some cases with Japan and its utilities, they've simply just, just not followed through on contracts and not renewed contracts because they're still not ready for it. So that is what has helped to continue to depress the spot price. The flip side is, if you listen to Tim Gitzel, who these days is the, is the CEO of Cameco, each quarterly call that they've had, he's more exuberant than he was on the last one. Because people who follow uranium or want to get to know it better, Trevor, and I know you know this aspect of it, you know, the spot price means less with it than it does with most other commodities because most deals are multi-year deals that utilities do with a provider mm -hmm. uh, of uranium, such as a chemical. It's done uh, on a case-by-case -case negotiated basis. And depending on all the different moving parts, you know, chemical right now, I, I'm told, has been entering deals recently at well over $40 a pound. 
uh, for uranium. So that's helping them out because they've been buying uranium on the spot market, turning right around and locking up multi-year contracts at a higher price, which they might meet some of it with what they're buying in the market. They're going to meet some of it when they get back up and running with everything again. There's concerns now, of course, about a renewed shutdown at Cigar Lake because Canada is another one of the countries going backwards uh, with uh, these COVID cases rather than forwards, uh, supposedly. Um, so we'll see. But you know, the broad case still is that you've got an entire world that is animated over this idea of green energy, climate change, reducing carbon emissions, and a whole deal. And more and more folks understanding that the single best and surest means to do that with power grids country to country is by bolstering the percentage that comes from nuclear energy. Because there are no carbon emissions, you don't have the fluctuations in load as you do with wind and solar power. Um, I don't know, you know what the, the president thinks uh, about uh, which is better. I'm glad he's behind both, but you know when, he's, when the press at least seems to be spending more time on these, uh, you know, solar farms out in the ocean, which, all right, let's let's see if uh, the the liberal northeasterners who voted for him like that idea. They haven't liked it in the past. <laughs> yeah. But uh, one one study after another, and you're hearing people all across the political spectrum, Trevor, including in the U.S. I'm happy to say, who realized that people went a little bit overboard in reaction to Fukushima that in most respects, nuclear energy is safer than what we have done to the environment in going nuts and trying to get all these fossil fuels, especially with methane gas releases from all the fracking and so forth. And it's an it's idea whose time has come again. Um, and even if we had no support in the U.S. for it, You've got developing nations like China and India. You've had several new reactors in the last year that have been turned on in the Middle East, you know, which mm -hmm. for a long time has been one of the centers in the world for fossil fuel development and extraction. So, look, it, it, you, you've got you've got huge demand uh, that's that's on tap, that's already being constructed, and that there's not the uranium to meet it. And you don't get a more basic and no-brainer supply-demand imbalance than that. Yeah, fundamental reasons. Uh, Chris, you've got a busy month coming up. I know uh, on top of your regular issues that you put out to your subscribers, there's a couple special reports. Yep. Um, what are those special reports going to be about, and how can people go find you and get a subscription? Well, if you're not already on my mailing list, just go to nationalinvestor.com and sign up for my free mailing list. You'll get uh, occasional uh, reports like what we're talking about the first one to come indeed in the next week or so is going to be on uranium uh, i will then be updating the gold issue that i did last summer most recently the title of which fittingly is this is not your father's gold market and among other reasons you'll 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 come to understand why all of the predictions of uh, gold going to the moon when Biden was elected and then brought in Yellen as Treasury Secretary and then the Democrats got the, the Senate and then now they want to spend and print money like drunken sailors. There's been no traction 
for it with the gold price. And I mm-hmm. said that was going to be the case. And I'll also be explaining what has to happen and will happen that will change that. Uh, and I'm also going to have an issue coming up as well, among a couple others, on the whole green energy and critical minerals thing, because uh, even though the Biden administration, speaking specifically about it, is a little bit double-minded in some ways, uh, especially when it comes to mining in the U.S., there's been a few major projects that have had the plug pulled on them recently, which uh, worries me. But generally speaking, aside from that, I do think that much more so than not, we're going to have a very conducive environment in this country with the government getting behind an awful lot of stuff for the future electric vehicle uh, supply chain, for hydrogen vehicles, for all manner of ideas, a few quirky ones. You you know of these, Trevor, yourself, Mm -hmm. that are on my recommended list of companies that can help reduce utility costs and all kinds of stuff. Uh, Look, I, I, I wish that President Biden's new energy secretary, Jennifer Granholm, was the final word on all of this stuff, because she knows what needs to be done. She's got the chops for this. She's Canadian by birth, so she understands metals in the extractive industries. Uh, And she was the governor of an industrial state. So she understands industry and labor and and how to try and have all of this benefit the larger segments of society. So a lot of really cool stuff is going to happen. She's made very clear she's got $40 billion worth of loan guarantees burning a hole in her pocket. There's going to, there's a lot of cool stories out there of companies that are going to get some of this money and that are going to benefit by helping us uh, collectively reduce carbon emissions and stuff like that. So that's, and, and I'm going to highlight a few of those companies specifically in that green energy report. Uh, the newsletter and the special reports are wonderful, great, thorough reads. Uh, the comics that you put in them are incredible and entertaining. <laughs> I can't wait for you to turn you and your artist to turn those into an NFT. Uh, you should, you should try that out, Chris, see what happens. I've had a couple ideas about that <laughs> recently. I've, I've, I've got, um, yeah, my uh, I got to give a shout out to my cartoonist of many many years, Jerry King, who does a lot of my homemade ones. Uh, uh, he 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 turns them around quick. I'll come up with a hair-brained idea. In fact, I've got one I'll share real quick. Um, and this was inspired by our mutual friend Jim Paterson to some extent. He's the CEO of Valor Metals, one of my recommended companies. It's a great story, great company. Um, but we were talking about uranium uh, several months ago. And uh, Valor, while right now its biggest focus is on its Platinum Group Metals project in Brazil, it's got a 40-plus million pound uranium resource up in Nunavut, which doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot right now, but a few years from now it will. Um, But I I repeated to him a little saying that I have of, you know, there are times when the gold market really gets fun because when generalist investors which right now have utterly no time for gold, when that changes, which again, it will, and I'll explain in my coming newsletter what's going to cause that, when they decide it's time to get back into gold again, we will exceed the highs of last summer. And it's when it happens, and it does from time to time, it's like a 300-pound man jumping into a kiddie-sized wading pool. Uh, the effect that generalist investors have when they decide they want to invest in the, in the gold sector, which is tiny 
compared to the rest of the marketplace. And I, and I said, you know, but my characterization of uranium and some of these green energy stocks that are off the radar, this is going to be like an elephant jumping into a kitty size wading pool. Yeah. And uh, he says, man, you ought to get a cartoon like that. Within 24 hours, I had it. I, I, I hope you've seen it. <laughs> yeah, I have Remember? seen it. I have seen it. Um, so, um, but, the, and that's, and that's just real quick to close up, Trevor. That's one of the reasons why uranium, that whole space excites me so much, because unlike gold, which as it was peaking along with gold stocks last summer, did have a lot of mention in the mainstream financial press. It did have a lot of generalist investors getting in, which have now left because they got greener pastures elsewhere for the time being. You, you, you're hard pressed to find a single mention of uranium anywhere in the financial press typically. Yeah, that's true. So this move we've already seen in uranium has, has been completely or almost completely devoid of any any journalist investors even taking part in it, which is why still, and I know a lot of us said this for a while, it didn't happen yet, still didn't happen, didn't happen yet, but we're getting close. When this thing really takes off, it'll, it'll be unlike any, the, the best gold market pop from you know dormancy that you've ever seen yeah. when you see what happens to uranium coming up i'm ready i'm patiently ready here chris for that to yeah. happen i uh, appreciate your time hope you had a wonderful easter weekend and i look forward to reading those upcoming issues from national investor chris have yourself a great rest of the day and the week and better we can make this happen and you too mining stock daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decision.